sandwiches, while legal scholars and food enthusiasts bicker about exactly what constitutes a sandwich. Americans eat a whopping 300 million of them per day. Since there are only about 300 million Americans, that blows Hootie's mind. I'm Hootie, and you're listening to Hootie the Foodie. He may be 10 years old, but he's an expert. You're listening to Hootie the Foodie. In this episode, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, sandwiches. After completing classical French culinary training at Cordon Bleu, my guest today worked as a chef at several restaurants and is now executive chef at Jerry's Patio Cafe. Chef Jason Rosenberg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I'm pretty sure I realized I love food from the moment my parents gave me my first taste of pure being English. When did you become interested in food? I remember being interested in food from the time I was a little boy. Uh, there's lots of stories of me being three and four years old, eating things that most adults wouldn't eat. And I was always an expensive kid to take to Dodger games or even to go out to eat. I feel like I've ordered three times in my life off a kid's menu. And I was definitely the only kid who I can remember who was asking if I could start with a shrimp cocktail or half dozen oysters before moving on to the main course. I've always had you know, not expensive taste, but I always enjoyed all elements of food and whatever, if it was a burger stand or a really nice restaurant, it would eat accordingly. And just, you know, I always feel like every time I eat something, it's still an experience that I won't get back. And so I always expect it to be great. And trying new foods for me is always the most exciting thing in the world because I feel like I've already had so much to try something new or a new type of cuisine is always really exciting. Have you ever tried caviar? Yes. Have you liked it? Yeah, it's delicious. It's really good. I might try it, but then again. <laughs> you should try it. It's good. All right. I'll take your word for it. It's good when... on latkes. Mm. <laughs> when was your first experience working in restaurants? When I was in high school, I was part of an internship. I had an uncle who used to have a lot of different restaurants, and he had one that was close by, and it was a quick service restaurant which means you like order at the counter, you know, you get a, a number and people bring it to you. It's called California Crisp, or it was called California Crisp, and it used to be really successful. And at the time, I had a cousin who was working there also, and so he kind of showed me the ropes and the ins and the outs of the business, the back end, how to work in the restaurant, the kitchen area, how to help out in front, learning the register, whatnot. Was it easy to work in a restaurant? No, but I really liked it. And so was it a meaty place or like, more of like a soft dairy place. It was a cafe and it was light for its time and they did different sandwiches and paninis, and different wraps and salads. So it was kind of right in the middle. It wasn't super meat heavy. It was chicken and turkey, lots of salads, pretty light and really ahead of its time when it started early on. What was culinary school like? Culinary school was really hard. It was a 15 month program. And after six weeks, I started working full time in a restaurant and going to school. And the way the culinary school was designed, it focused on techniques and French culinary tradition in the beginning. And then you slowly, you know, build on that and work your way up. What was the hardest part of it? We had a baking course that was split into two classes. The first one was bread and bagels and pretzels and pastries. That was a lot of fun. The second one was about cakes and more finer things, and that definitely was not my jam. Yeah, pun intended. It was really tough for me to build cakes and do the icing and cut the layers. It was, I don't know, it required too much finesse. 
Do you ever master it? Not the cake portion. I love baking bread and bagels and certain savory things, but cakes are not really my thing. Did you have to start from scratch or did you have like cake powder or whatever you have? <laughs> uh, no, everything was from scratch. What was your favorite part? Of culinary school? Yeah. I really enjoyed all of my teachers. I had a lot of really great teachers and they split the class into two. And when we first started, there was 40 kids in the class. And I think by the time we finished, there was only 15. Um, the way it works is it wasn't for everybody, but a lot of people could go to it. It wasn't like you had to apply and get in. It was basically you had to pay and then you got from it whatever you wanted to. And early on, you know, I always loved cooking. I grew up in the kitchen with my family. It was always a part of me. And I knew I was like good at it, you know, from like a family level, but I never knew that I would love it and really take to it in a professional sense. And it really felt like playing sports and like being part of a team and, you know, competition and just kind of setting yourself apart. And I found out early on that I was actually pretty good at it and that this was something that I was really passionate about. Were you ever in like big cooking competitions? Um, there were a few in culinary school. And also, if, if you still try making cakes and you mess up, just send it my way. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> Did you develop a favorite type of cuisine to work with? Yes, I've worked a lot with seasonal Americana, which is basically a fancy word for American food. And the way it's been interpreted in California is lots of different elements from other cultures and bringing out the best ingredients from other places and using those techniques and foundations to bring something together that's kind of like part of Californian uh, American cuisine. Specifically, I love making sandwiches. I love eating them. And regardless of the type of cuisine, I feel like a lot of those techniques can be applied to making a sandwich, I guess. Let's talk about sandwiches. In your mind, what is the basic definition of a sandwich? I guess the most basic definition of a sandwich would be some form of filling between two pieces of bread. Or, I guess, wrapped in bread, right? Because a pita or a lafa, it's a bread per se, but it's wrapped. When it comes to breads, there are so many types. Sourdough, rye, pumpernickel, white, multigrain, wheat, french rolls, challah, English muffins, pita, potato bread, ciabatta, brioche, naan, cornbread, a baguette, Italian bread, bagel, croissant, just to name a few. When crafting a sandwich, how do you decide what type of bread to go with? Well, um, it depends on the type of sandwich. You want to use something that's going to go well with whatever you're making, right? It's important to reflect the cuisine that you're trying to go for. I mean, it also has to do with texture and flavor. So we can agree that you would never eat a pastrami sandwich on white bread. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like almost against sure. the rules. You can't do it. Some people do it, whatever, you know, to each their own. But traditionally, you want it on rye bread or maybe some sliced challah or egg bread. And that's because the texture reflects well. The rye seed or the corn rye pairs well with the spices in the pastrami. When you think about like eating a barbecue chicken sandwich or something that's softer, you want a bun that's going to hold your ingredients together. So when you take a bite, it's not going to shoot out the other side. What are some of the common and uncommon main fillings used to build a sandwich? Common and uncommon fillings? Yeah, so like some of the fillings that you'll usually find in a sandwich and some that you would rarely find. Okay. I would say things that you would usually find would be some form of protein, whether it be 
sliced roast beef or chicken or turkey or some form of cold cut. And then, you know, as we evolve as a society, you have like the Beyond Meat burgers or um, Mrs. Goldfarb's vegan pastrami that people really like, or, you know, a piece of grilled fish. You know, the possibilities are endless. Whether or not it's going to work is a whole nother thing. Jewish galleys are famous for their cold cuts, especially pastrami. How is pastrami made and what makes it so crazy good? Pastrami is made from what's called the navel. It's a muscle that's over by the brisket. It's around five pounds or so, and it's heavily marbled, which means it has a lot of fat. What typically people brine it for a while, which means to marinate it in salt and sugar and spices. And then from there, it is removed from the brine. And then they rub it with cracked coriander and pepper. Coriander is a spice that cilantro comes from, actually. So lots of coriander, cracked pepper. And there's tons of salt in the brine as well. Garlic, you know, to each their own, whatever the recipe is. And then from there, it goes in a smoker. It's hot smoked for a long time, which is what makes it tender. And then as it comes from either the restaurant or the deli or the manufacturer, they cook it until it's desired temperature. And then they cool it off. And then when it comes to the deli, they usually hold it in a steam table. So they make it soft again, keeping it above water in the steam. It kind of loosens it up. And then from there, it gets shaved and used however. What is the difference between a kosher-style deli and a kosher-certified deli? Well, in a kosher-certified deli, there needs to be certification. There needs to be a mashkiach on presence, so someone who goes in and makes sure that everything is being followed along with the laws, that if the company they use sends the product, that they're sending the product that you require. So a lot of times in restaurants, my restaurant, any restaurant in the world, you order something and they send you the wrong thing. It'd be like going to the grocery store and checking out and they give you someone else's bag that's next to you or before you. So in a kosher restaurant, it's a big deal because if Cisco is delivering and they drop off a case of bacon and the cooks go in and they go to set up in the morning and they go, oh man, we got bacon by mistake. Let's cook some and eat some, right? It would be a big to do, right? There's certain certifications based on the product that's created and how it's sourced and needs to be certified for kosherut. You know, otherwise you would use your license. It's a big deal. Kosher style delis is kind of something that evolved out of New York and the birth of deli. You have like this, you know, influx of Eastern European Jews who came to the States and brought the flavors of the old countries with them. And that's where we get pastrami and corned beef and rye and sauerkraut and all these wonderful things that we love so much and hold close to our hearts. And those started in New York. And it was easier, I think, then to have kosher delis because there was less assimilation and maybe because the Jews were closer to it. And as a generation, they were more people keeping kosher than not because it was easier. As time goes on and keeping kosher becomes more expensive or inconvenient or whatever, then you have things where it's like, okay, we still want to eat Jewish food in a Jewish way, but it's kind of like the kosher style. So similar foods, you just kind of sneak in a little bit of, you know, start using butter and we start putting a little bit of cheese on the sandwiches and maybe we have a little bit of bacon to go on like a specific thing or some pork options for a breakfast option. Um, I hope that explains it. What is ingredient sourcing and how important is that to making great food and running a successful eatery? It's really important. You want to make sure that you buy good product that's good quality that's going to stand up and resonate on the plate. So if you go to buy your product from somewhere that's really cheap and it's not the best lettuce and the tomatoes aren't going to be ripe and the meat is cheaper and it's not going to taste as good. 
And that's going to translate to the plate, what you serve and what the guest gets. And it's kind of like why we like going out to restaurants is because restaurants buy high quality product. They season it. They use way more salt than our mothers would or way more grease or oil, whatever it is. And they make it taste good. And that's why we go out. It's part of the experience. Although things are changing a little bit now because of COVID, it's a totally different game. But you know, you want to buy really good ingredients because you get what you put into anything. So if you're making a soup and you're using bad ingredients, your soup's probably not going to taste very good. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with executive chef and sandwich master, Jason Rosenberg. We're back to Hootie the Foodie. Welcome back to Hootie the Foodie. I'm talking about sandwiches with Jason Rosenberg, executive chef at Jerry's Patio Cafe. Jason, how do you decide which dressings and sauces to use on which sandwiches? So it all has to do with flavor profile and what you're going for. You know, like many things, you kind of want to build off the basics and the classics and not completely try to reinvent the wheel. So if we're talking about a hamburger, let's say, you're going to probably want to go with either some form of aioli, which means like a flavored mayo, or maybe you want to go classic and just use mayo, or maybe you're a ketchup person or yellow mustard or, you know, whatever the sauces you want to choose. You know, if we're talking about pastrami or corned beef, plain on rye bread, then you'd want to go with mustard. Maybe you're a yellow mustard person or, you know, like golden spicy yellow mustard. When you get into like Italian sandwiches or heroes, then there's a debate whether or not it should have mayo or not. Traditionally, it's going to have some red wine vinegar or maybe some Italian dressing, a lot of oregano, probably some really good olive oil. If it's a tuna sandwich, you probably don't want to add any other sauce to it because it has the mayo and all the mixture inside the tuna itself. You wouldn't want to overdress something. Yeah. What is your all-time favorite sandwich? Like ever? Yeah. Hmm. I love all sandwiches. So... For me, I really enjoy a good Reuben. Growing up, I would get either a corned beef Reuben or even a Reuben with a hot dog on it called a knockwurst Reuben. That was like a guilty pleasure back in the day. I love a good Italian sandwich despite it not being kosher. It's probably tied neck and neck with either Reuben or also a Sky High, which I'm also a really big fan of. What is a Sky High? A Sky High is like um, also on rye bread, Russian dressing coleslaw, and then, you know, your choice of meat, usually pastrami or corned beef. What do you find to be the most popular sandwich? At Jerry's Patio Cafe? Yeah. Our Jerry's favorite, which is a pastrami sky high. You know, the corn rye, it's buttered and toasted, Russian dressing, coleslaw, Swiss cheese, and pastrami. What types of sandwiches are better served hot? Um, when you're speaking about hot sandwiches, you're usually talking about a French dip or a steak sandwich or maybe a grilled chicken sandwich or like a chicken parmesan sandwich or eggplant parm. Usually cold cuts, you know, like, uh, you know, I guess turkey, you could do a melt. And then, you know, we're really, you know, getting away from the kashru conversation, but, you know, lots of different iterations of grilled cheeses with different kinds of meat inside of them, I guess you could say. There's a whole melt category. And what about cold? Cold, you know, a cold tuna sandwich is always good. Cold turkey is fine. When you get into, you know, more expensive restaurants, more sandwich shops, and you kind of try to have a more elevated approach, 
you're going to have less cold items because you want the bread to be toasted. And even though it's not completely necessary a hot sandwich, you want some of the elements to be hot because it adds another level. What is the most unusual sandwich you have ever seen, had, or made? I think a Monte Cristo. Some people love it. Just for me, it's never really scratched that itch. It's basically a club sandwich that's battered and deep fried. And then people usually eat it with some form of jelly or preserve. The whole thing's deep fried? Yes. How do you feel about helping me construct a Hootie the Foodie signature sandwich right now? I'm all yours. Okay, where do we start? I would start in the refrigerator and <laughs> see what kind of protein we're going to put on the sandwich and then build around that. And then we'll come up with the flavor profile where we want to go. And then from there, we'll go to our bread options. So I think I'd put like some steak on there. Okay. Is the steak left over from last night or are we going to like grill it for the sandwich? No, we're going to grill it this time. Okay. So then that's a hot sandwich. So we want some bread that's going to be able to hold up to all those ingredients you want to put on there. So I would say either a French roll or some ciabatta or a nice baguette. I picked baguette. Now where do we go from there? All right. So what else would you like to put on your sandwich? Do you like a lot of vegetables or do you like it to be kind of meat protein focused? Uh, Not too much vegetables, but like maybe just some pickles, tomatoes, and avocados. Like nothing too like complex. What about onions? Do you like onions? No. Really? It's like spicy for me. I mean, I would have it in like salad or soup. what What if they're grilled? I would try that. I haven't tried it yet. You should do that. Next time you go to Jeff's and get a burger, you should order some grilled onions. Mm-hmm. I'm totally going to do it. Okay, so we have tomato, pickles, and avocado. So what sauces would we put on it? That's my question. Do you like mustard? I've had an Impossible Burger. I put mustard on that. Do you like the mustard? Yeah. Okay. So what about, do you like mayonnaise? Yes. Okay. So I would say you should make like a Dijonese, which is this old French sauce. That's a mixture of mayo and Dijon mustard. And you can use yellow mustard if you like yellow and just a little bit. And then it'll add a little bit of like a acid that's going to cut through some of the fat from your sandwich. And so I would say we should turn the oven on and toast the baguette just to warm it up. Not a lot because you don't want it to get too hard. Then we're going to slice it through the middle. And then you're going to want to put your sauce on both sides. And then I would say we'd want to slice the steak. And then did you say tomato or, or lettuce or no? Uh, no lettuce. Okay, so we would slice our steak, and then we'd probably put the tomatoes on top of that, and then the pickles, and then on the top portion of the bread, we would slice the avocado and fan it out and make it cover the bread as much as possible, because also a part of a good sandwich is having every component in every bite. You want to make sure it's evenly dispersed, so you don't take your first bite and you get all meat, and then the second bite is all pickles. You want everything to be there, because they're all going to complement each other. That's how you make it, like, very flavorful in each bite and, like, make it last. Correct. What changes did you make when you got to Jerry's? We made a lot of changes. So when I started, they had changed from one concept to rebranding Jerry's Deli into something different and a little bit more modern and cleaner and kind of a more concise menu. You know, less of five, six pages of items and just starting off with the basics and the fundamentals of Jewish deli. So making sure that we had corned beef and brisket and pastrami and, you know, turkey, a few salads here and there, the menu wasn't going to get away from us. So the first thing we did was establish what ingredients we wanted to use in the sandwiches. 
and then how we were going to source that product from who we were going to get it from. We tested lots of different pastrami's in corned beef to make sure it was the right product. We worked out a brisket recipe, make sure all the prep cooks knew how to braise it and what we expected and the way we're going to slice and prepare the meat. It's a lot of training that goes in and making sure that everyone knows how to slice the meat the correct way. So you're talking about slicing your steak earlier. One way you could really ruin brisket, corned beef, or pastrami is slicing it the wrong way. And lots of Jews and customers at delis will tell you that. So you want to make sure that, you know, they know the difference between lean and fatty pastrami and also making sure you slice it against the grain to make sure it's really delicate and easy to eat. When you're cooking, like, the beef, do you make, like, little cuts in the middle of it, like, halfway through cuts to make it cook better? No. So by doing that, it would cook kind of uneven. And then the ultimate goal is for us to be able to slice it as best as possible. So if you were to make those cuts inside, by the time you were finished cooking it and it was sitting in the liquid, it'd probably break apart when you went to slice it. You want to preserve the integrity of the meat and whatever it is you're cooking for as long as possible before you go to slice it. As I mentioned in the opening, there has been lots of debates over what technically makes something a sandwich. I'm going to run a list of foods by you and you give me your gut reaction and say yes if you think it's a sandwich and no if you think it's not a sandwich. Hamburger. Yes. Hot dog. Yes. Pizza. No. What if two slices are folded in on each other? Is there anything in between? Well, there's cheese in the sauce. That's like but part if the, of the If pizza. there's two slices of pizza, we're putting something else in between? No. No. Burrito. Yes. Bread bowl? No. And last but not least, open face? Mm. Yes. Chef Jason, thank you for sharing your expertise and our shared passion for great sandwiches. By the way, you're welcome on my house anytime. <laughs> Where can we find Jerry's Patio Cafe online? Jerry'sPatioCafe.com, and you can also find us on Postmates, Grubhub, Uber Eats. To my awesome audience, thanks for listening. I'd love it if you shared me with your family and friends. I'm Hootie, I'm Hungry, and you just listened to Hootie the Foodie. You've been listening to Hootie the Foodie. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, make sure to like, rate, and review in your podcast app and follow on Instagram at Hootie the Foodie. Till next time.